And today I'm going to preach from Acts chapter 4, which is a little bit like picking up in the middle of the story, but it is a passage that is about prayer um, that I thought might be um, particularly encouraging to you all. And um, by way of background, even before I read it, the, the thing that you see in Acts is the formation of the early church, which is going to be a public witness to Jesus's resurrection. Um, and Jesus sends his spirit onto the church to empower them for that mission. And then they just kind of go out everywhere and start talking about it, um, healing people, speaking, preaching, all those sorts of things. And in chapter three, uh, Peter and John, two of the apostles, they heal this man um, who had been lame from birth. And they then preach a sermon and the authorities, the kind of temple authorities, throw him in prison. Uh, when they get out of prison, they basically tell the guys, we're going to keep talking, sorry. <laughs> and then they return to uh, the early church meeting in this room together. And there they decide that the best thing to do is to pray. Like Jesus has promised, I'm going to be with you. They see that fulfill as a fulfillment of scripture. And so that leads them to prayer. And here, what's really helpful is even the resistance to the message, even getting thrown in prison, even um, not being sure what's going to happen next and facing all that uncertainty, they think the most important thing to do is to pray. Um, and so I don't know about you, but like when I was younger and first started reading the Bible, when I read Acts, I always thought of it as like so many cool miracles and healings and just like the spirit filling everything. It was kind of crazy. But what I encourage you to do today is just think of it as not only that, but also uh, a time of concentrated prayer and a time of concentrated preaching of the word of, the word of God. And so um, hopefully that would be an encouraging thing uh, to you all. So let me pray briefly um, and... Well, let me read the passage and I'll pray, and then we'll work through it um, this morning. So I'm going to look at Acts chapter 4, and we are in verse 23 through 31. So uh, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers uh, were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together were shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Uh, let me pray briefly. Father, would you uh, fill us with the same spirit that filled these apostles with boldness? And would you uh, give us a uh, empowering by your presence to be faithful witness publicly of the work that you have done in raising Jesus from the dead and bringing us, uh, bringing new life um, to a broken and fallen world. I pray that this morning, um, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I... I I read, you know, as I was preparing for the sermon, I read through um, different authors, different ideas on prayer, and a couple that struck me. One's old, one's new. Um, the old one was um, 
John Calvin said, the riches we have in Christ are like buried jewels. Um, prayer is the shovel we use to unearth these riches. And I liked that one very much because it seems like the things that God has for you, he has already sort of planted for you. They're already there. You're not digging them up. You're not cooking them up. You're not making God do something, but you have the shovel and you're kind of digging up those riches and being reminded of the gifts that he's given you and that he's given to the church. Um, a newer author, Paul Miller, who's one of my favorites, he calls prayer the spark that ignites spiritual wisdom, power, love, and glory. Again, it's, uh, there is a fire that God is, is, is you know, lighting before us, and prayer is sort of our match that gets that going, that sort of introduces us to um, his glory and his love and his power. And so my question for you guys this morning is just, what role does prayer play in the life of your church? And this is fun. It's fun for me to ask you guys this because I don't actually know. <laughs> I can't. Maybe you guys are praying all the time. Maybe you're not. You have to like actually engage with this a little bit. Um, is it peripheral? Like, is it just something that sort of stands behind the worship service and the preaching and the outreach and all the the new members classes and all the things we were we were just talking about the announcements, or is it central and the thing from which all of those things flow? Um, that's, that's a question to ask. Maybe for some of you, especially if you're younger, you may even just be like, I don't even know what prayer is. I don't even know how to pray or where to start. Um, and so today I hope that we will sort of just ask those questions. What are we praying for, right? Um, for some of you, you might ask the question, am I praying only for myself? You know, like only for good things for myself. Lord, less snow this, this winter, <laughs> less cold temperatures, you know, um, or are you praying for the things that God is doing in the world for his kingdom and for his, his advancing? Um, you know, even, even more importantly, are you, are you going into prayer as a place where you're feeding on Jesus in need of him and in need of his growth and in need of the, the work that he's doing? Um, it, it's interesting, when we come to this passage, you'll see that prayer, and I, I invite you just, you know, in your spare time this week, go back and read Acts maybe one through eight, and you'll see that in the early church, prayer comes quickly, it comes naturally, it is needed, it connects the people with Jesus and fills them with his spirit, it invites Jesus to work, it invites uh, Jesus to uh, bring more mission, more boldness, and even more, what I love about this passage particularly is that he just answers their prayer, right? Immediately they say, can we be filled with your spirit? Can we have more boldness? And it's like the, the room actually starts to shake because Jesus is present with them answering that question. And so I think the message this morning, it's very simple. Um, since Jesus gives his spirit, Jesus gives boldness, Jesus loves you guys. He wants you to have the good things that come from the Father that could be only found in him and in his resurrection. And since he gives those to those who pray, pray, okay? So it's just sort of simple. Um, but we're going to work it out a little bit. And maybe I would say this, um, work towards making prayer central in the life of the church. Um, maybe what we need to do is kind of re-examine what we're praying for and how. And I think this passage will help us to do that, okay? So I want to look at, at prayer from three, three different angles. Uh, number one, uh, since Jesus gives his spirit and boldness to those who pray, pray together. Pray together. Uh, okay, as soon as Peter and John are released, look at verse 23. They go to their own. Um, they go to the, their friends. They go to the church. They don't um, sort of run back to their houses alone. Um, they go to where everybody else is already gathered together. And the church and the community seem to understand 
the corporate nature of this enterprise. And if you read on, it says they lifted their voices together to God. Their response to resistance was prayer. Their response to being free was prayer. Um, and I think, if I could share personally, that uh, many of us continue to keep prayer solitary or private. Like, think about maybe the people that you think have the greatest prayer lives are like the people who get up at 4 a.m. Anybody <laughs> are praying for two hours alone in their room before anything else happens. Um, when I first became a Christian, like I just wanted it to be, this when I was in college, I wanted it to be me and Jesus, right? And that was a lot of me reading my Bible alone in my room, praying alone in my room, playing guitar alone in my room. The problem with that, it wasn't very much good for anyone else. <laughs> Might have been great for me to get to know Jesus, um, but I, it, the the faith that we see in Acts is public, right? It is not hidden. You know, it's corporate people gathering, just like we are here. This may not feel very public. You may think of, like, going to the grocery store as more public, or you may think of just being out on the street as more public in your neighborhood. But, like, we are meeting publicly. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead publicly. It wasn't just a spiritual, mystical experience. Like, it actually happened in history. And since it happened in history, the church's work is also public, historical, um, open for everyone to see. And I think corporate prayer um, is a way for us to, to get, get our minds around that and to kind of bring that about and to, to step into that. Um, it, it, think of the spark again. It's not just, I'll give you a couple of illustrations. One, it's not just like one guy downtown in Cleveland standing around a trash can warming his hands. It's four or five guys, right? They're together. Um, it's not just one. Anybody ever gone caving or spelunking? Okay, a couple people. All right, good. Uh, you know, anytime you do this with a guide, they'll usually turn all the lights off at some point, so you see how dark it is. Um, it's just this, that is kind of a mystical experience. Suddenly, it's illuminated, and that's cool if you're by yourself, right? I turn the lights off; it's dark, and I turn the light on. But imagine what it felt like if you remember a few years ago when that um, Thai soccer team was like trapped in a cave and there were 18 boys. Think of the moment the guy gets through, the first sort of like Navy SEAL type dude to get through who turns on a flashlight and there's 18 of them there and suddenly they can see each other's faces and they can see the light does something more than just warm them individually. It also illuminates the others and the faces of the others around them. And one of the cool things about corporate prayer is that you learn from other people as they pray. It's like, oh, I hadn't even thought to pray for that. Or, oh, wow, you've, you, you understand this thing about God that I don't understand. And that's like, hey, we need each other. It wouldn't work um, if we were alone. Uh, the other thing I love about that is it's very encouraging to me is because prayerful witness does not require a program. It doesn't require strategy. It doesn't require initiative. You can have strategies. That's fine. I'll leave that up to Jeremy. <laughs> this is an easy, like, fill-in sermon to do. You can have strategies. You should. You can have initiatives. You should. But the prayer is sort of less. It's, I like it because it's not just for, like, super spiritual professionals, right? Young people, old people can all pray. Men and women can all pray. Rich and poor can all pray, right? Like, there is nothing that you have to do other than experience your need for the filling of the Spirit and for the gifts that Jesus has to bring. And so it can just so easily be built into the life of your church. So as you're going through elder training, as you're uh, particularizing, as you're stepping into the next stage of the life of the church, I would just encourage you to see yourselves as people of prayer and to pray together as often as possible. 
um, for the new elders. Like, why, you guys should uh, t pray together as much as you learn. Is Jeremy giving you a bunch of reading? Come on. I know Jeremy. Come on. <laughs> Too much reading. <laughs> right? Tell Jeremy. Wait, Dwayne said we should pray as much as we read. <laughs> Jeremy's just going to say you got to pray and read, right? He's, it's just going to be twice as much work. But see yourselves as, as a prayer group. Seriously, I, I do uh, encourage you to do that. Um, consider praying before the worship service for the worship service. Um, start, if, for some of you, just start at home, like with your spouse or with your kids. Like if there's other people, you know, spend time praying with other people instead of alone. Um, one thing that changed a lot of my prayer life was uh, stopping at the back of the church. You know, somebody says, Can I, will you pray for me? And typically you'll say like, yeah. And then two weeks later, you've forgotten to pray for that person. And one of the things I learned uh, a number of years ago was just to stop at the back of the church and pray for that person right then. Can I pray for you right now? Um, because then I know I'm not going to forget later. And then and there's just a real rewarding thing that happens um, in the life of the church there. So I encourage you to pray together. Uh, number two, Jesus gives us his spirit of boldness. Uh, so also, I think what you see in this passage is, is to pray, not only together, but to pray scripture, Okay. I want you to see that the prayers that they make are anchored to God's word, his revelation, his self-revelation. Um, these early Christians want their prayers to be not just haphazard or willy-nilly, but they want to be prayers that are to the God who has revealed himself to be the one who is uh, the sovereign Lord of all the universe, right? They're, they're searching for his riches, not just for a better life, right? Um, and, and this is what... I think really comes clear. Look at verse 24. As they pray, they say, who are we praying to? We are praying to the sovereign Lord. Who, that, that's the one who has control over all things. And how, why does he have control over all things? Because he's the one, they go on to say, who has made the heaven and the earth. We are praying to the creator. He has the power of life. We are praying to the sustainer. He has the power to help those who are suffering and those who, who are in need. Um, and they know that he has not only revealed himself in creation, but look at verse 25, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. That is an awkward sentence. There's a lot in there, but basically what he's saying is, when you go back to read the Old Testament, it is written by humans, David, Moses, various prophets, scribes, who were also inspired by the very Spirit to preserve God's word for God's people. Um, and that is really an incredible, incredible thing. So they quote Psalm 2. So like, we, we are not just going to pray thanksgiving that we have been healed. We are going to acknowledge that resistance will come. And they go to Psalm 2. And in Psalm 2, you read it. It says, why do the Gentiles rage? The people's plot in vain. The kings of earth set themselves against the anointed. And this, what they do is as they read their Old Testament, they see suddenly like, hey, God was telling us this would happen, right? We, there is resistance. Was there ever resistance in the past? Yes, go read Psalm 2. Go read, I mean, gosh, read the whole Old Testament. Is there, ever any, <laughs> is there ever any trouble for God's people or any suffering? Yes, like manifold suffering, right? Exile and um, all sorts of... Um, invasions and, and, and everything, and they basically say, oh, all of that was pointing to this guy Jesus and what he was going to do, and now because we're in him, we could read that, and it actually helps us today, 
I mean, it's really incredible. I think these guys, it was almost like, I always think of uh, the, the apostles, it's like going to their first rock concert or something, you know what I mean? They're just sort of like, wait, go to Psalm 2, can you believe that? Wait, what about Isaiah? Isaiah 43, that's amazing. Like, it's blowing their minds to go reread the Bible in light of the gift that Jesus has given them in the Spirit. They're like, that's what this was about. That's incredible. And they spend their uh, whole lives sort of learning um, what that means. Uh, basically, for you all, I think what it means is when you pray scripture, you are confessing that God is the one who speaks and God is the one who acts. You are worshiping the one whose words and activity in the past make sense of his words and activity in the present. You're fitting yourself into his story, right, into the larger story that's there. Um, you, you are feeding on Jesus, uncovering his promises and making connections. Okay, um, here's, here's one way to think about it. My son is 18, well, 17. He wants to join the military. My dad was in the army. My sister was in the army. Any military folks out here or relations? Okay, no. My son's really excited about going to the army. Oh, there are, and there's some who, who, who maybe want to pursue the military. Okay, he's like, I can't wait. Going into the army is gonna be awesome. And I keep telling him like, hey, when you get there, do you know what happens? Like, the, the, you are conformed to the army. <laughs> like, the army doesn't conform to you. You know what I mean? And sometimes I think we think of prayer as like, um, God is gonna change based on what we have done, or he could step in to kind of solve a big problem that we have. But what's really happening in prayer is it's a little bit more like joining the military. It's like you go in and you are suddenly shaped by all this tradition that's been there before you were, these people who have authority that were there before you were, and an entire community and the way that it works. I think it's really helpful to think of prayer that way. You are stepping into God's kingdom. You're stepping into his plan and his program, and he will shape you even as you pray for things that are very important to yourself. And the way that we can apply that is by making our prayers scriptural prayers. Um, I personally do this by, uh, and this is not a prescription, you're not required to do this, but I, I keep prayer note cards. And so what I'll do is like I'll have the person I'm praying for and then a passage of scripture and then the requests. So for my wife, it's, uh, her name's Julie, and it's um, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what it, what it does is it allows me, instead of saying, Lord, please bring her more clients. Please help her uh, be an awesome parent. What I get to do is I say, as she parents, would you shape her into your identity because of the gift you've given her in Jesus? Do you see just the subtle difference there? Uh, Lord, use her work for your kingdom. And then it's not just like more money or better, but it's like maybe she uses the money to give her resources to somebody else. Or maybe she understands that a lack of clients is teaching her to trust in Jesus. Do you see how that just shape, like scripture will shape you. The note card that I pray for um, uh, Story Church is, uh, I should have brought them up here so I could remember. Ephesians 3.10. Uh, it is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God will now be revealed to the spiritual authorities in heaven and, and earth, basically, as a summary. So then again, when I pray for you guys, it's not just like, Super growth, awesome elders, everything better, you know, more, more, more. It's like, I pray that the new elders would um, show the spiritual authorities in God's, in, in, on earth what this God is like. I pray that this church would be filled with wisdom, 
because that's what God says the church needs to show the rest, the rest of the world what he's like. Do, do you see what I mean? So anyway, um, you can do that in whatever way you want, right? You don't have to have it written down. But my encouragement is as you pray together to shape those prayers by scripture and see the way that that sets belief um, into action. Okay, finally, um, number three. Since Jesus gives his spirit and boldness to those who pray, if in doubt, if you don't know what else to pray for, pray for the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. Pray for boldness. Um, the the um, apostles here are so aware of the divine purpose behind even the bad things that happen. And this we could get into like in a lot of detail. I'm just going to do it in a very quick way. But what I want you to notice in verse 27 is it is both Herod... Um, who's Jewish, and Pontius Pilate, who's Gentile. It is the Gentiles and Israel who are opposing. There's opposition everywhere, and they oppose Jesus to the extent that they would put him um, on a cross. And they have an awareness, though, that there was more than just opposition happening because what they say, and it's, it's radical and incredible, is this. They say, these principalities, these powers, these authorities did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That means that even underneath the things that look like they're going wrong, there's something that God's up to. And again, prayer gives you a glimpse of that. I don't think it's a surprise that they come to that conclusion through prayer. Okay, I don't think that that's a surprise at all. In fact, the actual request that they make, um, like sort of ramps up, it sort of extends that same idea. Grant to your servants to speak your word with boldness. We do have things to do. There are, there are words that we need to say and people that we need to tell about who Jesus is. But then he says, while you stretch out your hand to heal, it's ultimately God's work. It's the work that God is going to do. And so what you see is, I, I just think this is really encouraging because it means that being weak, being in need, being uncertain, being opposed having struggles doesn't disqualify you from receiving from God. Is that encouraging? I hope that's encouraging to you today. Okay, that's, that, that's the gospel message, right? Um, being needy, being weak, not having enough spiritual power resources doesn't disqualify you from re, you know, receiving from Jesus. In the same way, like being awesome and being powerful and being strong doesn't guarantee that you'll receive from Jesus, right? It is a, uh, we who are in need need to rely on the one who has perfected all things by going to the cross for us, even as we prayed earlier, to pardon us for our sins, to forgive us for our sins, and who rose again from the dead and has the real spiritual power that we need that is spiritual power. It's not just something that we can muster up. And that's spiritual with a capital S, Holy Spirit power. And yes, this is a, it's a Presbyterian church, right? And I get so mad because like my friends who are more charismatic than I am will, will oftentimes say like, well, we pray for the Holy Spirit to work. And I'm like, I pray for the Holy Spirit to work. I just also prepare at the same time. <laughs> and I hope that he works through it, right? And, we're, and we're, we, we have pleasant, fun uh, conversations where we joke with each other. But the point is, regardless of your denomination, regardless of your background or your tradition or where you're coming from, um, pray for God's Holy Spirit to be the one that's working here. And then things that maybe don't look as exciting or feel, feel as fulfilling as they could be have all sorts of um, dynamic energy to them. 
You know, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't look the way you maybe want it to look, but that doesn't mean he's not at work because his spirit works in a way that isn't the way that humans uh, normally work. Man, you are never so weak that you're beyond his reach and you're never so strong that you can attain it on his own. You are in need of a crucified, risen savior who makes you acceptable, who stands at, at, at the throne of God and is interceding for us now. Even as we pray, he's praying and he is interceding for you giving his spirit and pouring the Father's love into your hearts. Lord, give me more of that, right? Give me more of that spirit. Give me more of that love. Give me more of that assurance. Give me more of that strength. Give me more of that boldness for your sake and for your kingdom in this, the, the spirit of your son, Jesus Christ. Um, I had a good friend who would always pray this way, and it struck me as odd at first until I kind of got onto it. And he would say, he called them, wouldn't it be great prayers? This is a way to sort of say, yes, I am abiding in the vine, right? I am trusting in who Jesus is, but he's also saying I can ask for whatever I want. And that as a balance maybe helps you to do something like this, like, hey, Lord, wouldn't it be great if more people became Christians? Yeah, like that would be great, right? Could, could your spirit help us to do that? Like, wouldn't it be great if uh, people repented of their sins, right? And, and, and uh, people that were, that were split apart relationally were re restored. Um, would it be great if, uh, if our leaders are empowered to shepherd the church, right? Wouldn't it be great if we plant more churches? Wouldn't, it be, wouldn't those things be great? And instead of just you wanting things, you're taking them to him and saying like, it seems like that's the kind of thing you say you want to happen. Can you... We know you can. Will you? We don't know whether you will or not. Wouldn't it be great if you did those things? And just let us have some, some small part of it. Let us have some small place in that story, um, some small role in what it is uh, that you're doing. And I, I believe that what he's saying is these prayers um, will be answered in the person of Jesus through the power of his spirit himself. What the spirit does, it connects you to Jesus. And the spirit says, feed on me. Rest in me, rely on me, trust in me. Um, when, when Jesus is present, these things happen. And in this passage, he clearly arrives. Real quickly, because you haven't been with me in the whole series on Acts, this is not another Pentecost. There's already been one Pentecost. It's a one-time event. There's no speaking in tongues here. There's no like first-time giving of spirit for the empowering of the church. And I don't think this is about personal holiness. I don't think this is just like you receive the spirit so you become a special Christian. I don't think that's what's happening here. It's about empowerment for witness, which is always appropriate, it's always ongoing. And so it's like, yes, the church, if you're a Christian here, you have God's spirit, okay? Ask him to fill you with the spirit that you already have for the sake of his name, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of his mission, for the sake of um, pointing others to Jesus, for, for the sake of comprehensive restoration in a very broken and fallen world that we live in. Um, always appropriate, when in doubt. <laughs> pray for the spirit, pray for boldness. Um, so may maybe that means you just, uh, you get rid of my note cards and you just put boldness on a big <laughs> note card and you're like, Lord, give us more boldness for you. Or you put spirit there and say, Lord, give us your spirit. Um, it's what we're doing, if I can use kind of like a final il illustration. Um, yeah, digging up the, the riches. We're, uh, what did we say, lighting the fire in, in, in an extent. Maybe even better, we're sort of setting our sails to the wind. 
you know? Like, you're on a boat, you don't control the wind, okay? You can't control the spirit. You can't control the results of what happens in your personal life or in the church. Um, but what you can do is you can say, uh, together, scripturally, we're going to set our sails in the direction that the wind is blowing. And we are going to wait and watch and pray as you do the thing that you do to give you the most glory and for, for our own good. And I like that because it's like sometimes the wind's blowing really strong, right? Sometimes it's not. So you have an open hand, an open hand to say, I can't control the results, but we invite you, Jesus, to be the one who's at work in and through us as weak as we possibly are. Um, and that's uh, what I think this section of Acts is sort of guiding us to, and that's going to be my prayer going forward also for you guys, for all you at, um, uh, at Story Church in the coming months. Let me pray. Father, would you uh, fill us with your spirit, and would you uh, bring to Story Church uh, what, what has, is already there, uh, togetherness, boldness, uh, faithfulness, a waiting and a watching, a scriptural groundedness. And out of that, Lord, answer some of their most imaginative and hopeful prayers um, for your kingdom, for their neighbors, for their personal lives and their children. Give them uh, your good gifts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.